Scripture reader for this morning is Todd Weeb. Thank you. Um, We already have a a long scripture reading, and I'm about to make it longer. I hope uh, that's not offensive to the minister who will have to shorten his comments. But uh, I think you have in your bulletins Genesis 1, 9 through 25, and I'm going to add a number of verses and go right from Genesis 1. If you're starting at verse 9 of Genesis uh, chapter 1, you might as well go right to the beginning. Let's read the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. From Genesis to Nazareth, fully back now into the swing of things. Richard reminded us that we have to almost remember the drought in the summer. 
after a day like today, but I hope you're still thankful for the rain. We learn a lot in these days and times and seasons. And today we begin this fall series that will take us, and I hope this isn't too daunting for you, it'll go quickly, trust me, hopefully each sermon will as we're engaged in the Word, but it'll also go quickly through from now until the cold of November as we get to uh, the Sunday before Advent will be the last Sunday in this series. Obviously, we can't go through the Old Testament even in in that number of weeks in any kind of detail. But there are times to take a particular look at books and stories, like you can study the book of Jeremiah and look at that incredible literature and life. You could study the book of Genesis. You could study the book of Exodus, at least uh, the first half of that book. You get bogged down a little bit in the second half. Most people... uh, skip over some of those parts. But what we're going to do is take a broad sweep. We often do something like this in the fall. From Genesis to Nazareth, looking at what it means to have this faith as a Christian and to live as a Christian. The themes that we'll pick up are these. I don't know if you can read them, but I'll read them for you underneath the heading. Creation, sovereignty, holiness, Sin and wrongdoing. I just added wrongdoing to sin because it makes it sound even more daunting. You could just put sin, I suppose, or wrongdoing. Sin and wrongdoing, redemption and eschatology. And of course, we'll remind you that eschatology means the fullness of time, uh, how, how everything comes to completion. All of this under the banner of looking at what it means to believe. Because I'm going to venture a guess here right now for each of you. That as you look in, uh, whether it's the media news stories, Uh, people who follow American politics might feel this at times, and it might come from different things for different people. But you could look at the world in which we live and the way in which people say, I am a Christian, therefore such and such. And it might just be that on some of those occasions you think to yourself, oh, that's not what I believe, or that's not the way that I believe. I wouldn't have to outline you know, what it might be that would occasion such a response on your part. But we live in a world today where you can look even at the broad swath of Christian belief. It's actually been this way for decades and centuries. And, say, and, and you can look at all the things that are presented as Christian belief and, and, and say to yourself, just what does it mean to have this faith as a Christian? You might even have times where if friends or family members of yours know that you're a Christian, you might think uh, to yourself, well, I hope they don't think that I think this way or that I believe this. Uh, We will say, well, I'm anticipating, I have a number of the sermons outlined, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're going to take a political or, or even kind of let's look at these five most recent news stories or something like that. I hope to look at what Scripture outlines the broad themes. And today, one of the main areas where this type of, uh, do I believe that or what is it that I believe? One of the main areas where this comes up is when we look at the subject and the narrative of creation in Scripture. Often this is framed in a scientific or scientific slash religious discussion or as if one is an opponent of the other. Uh, and I'm not so much interested in that today. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue some of that, but it's not 
my main interest as we look at the broad swath of Christian faith and how we are to understand this story. There can be agreement as we look at the beginning of all things or before uh, humanity came into being or before anything came into being. The agreement is, and this would be across religious and scientific uh, thinking, there was a time when there was nothing and then there was something. Now, people of faith will say, well, there wasn't nothing because there was God. But at least in terms of the created world, the natural world and humanity, there was a time where there was nothing, and now there is something. Christian faith, which which takes this Genesis account and says we believe this is Christians. Christian faith and Jewish faith takes the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 narrative of creation and says this is how we make sense of how there was once nothing and now there is something. The creation is described and outlined and presented in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And by the way, uh, if, you, if you read those accounts, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, even they differ. So now we're in trouble. Uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 have different descriptions of how things came to be. What will be emphasized is, and this is saying there once was nothing and now there's something, what will be emphasized is that Where there was disorder, there is now order. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to read the first verse of Genesis, because that's the verse that describes disorder. It was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. Now, you don't know what that means, and don't you dare tell me that you do. Know exactly what that means. You'd be the first person in history. Because what it means is there was disorder, but God was present. And then creation, then God spoke. Order from disorder. How we listen to the account of Genesis will determine a great deal about how we believe and live. Some of you may have been raised in situations, religious situations, that outline you have to believe the creation account in this exact way. Often that's a very literal way of understanding it. And if you don't believe it in that way, you sell the whole farm. I mean, if you let that go, then you give everything up and now there's no Jesus anymore. Um, And you may have been raised in places where there's great fear over that. And some of you may have had experiences often in school, often in conversations with others, can be other Christians or can be non-Christians, but it's actually really challenging when it's a Christian who says, well, I I, I don't really believe it that way. And then what are you going to do there? How you listen to the story will determine a great deal. There are some who would say this is only a myth, and the creation myth of Genesis reflects other ancient Near East creation myths of the time. So you could study another group of people around at the same time or before this, and it would have a similar structure to the, to the creation account. And so some people may say, well, it's only one of those, And so, therefore, why would you believe it? It's just a way to make sense of things, but it didn't actually happen. That's one kind of way of understanding it. The the far extreme to that is to say, no, this tells you exactly what happened, exactly the number of days, and you could study this as a scientific document, basically, to see how the world came into being. You have the two extremes. Um... Can I say this? 
and I, you know, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm getting older every day like you. And you, get to, you sometimes tend to be less protective as that happens. And can I say this? I don't believe either one of those. Either extreme. I'm not looking to find middle balance. I don't really believe balance is the way that things are always worked out. Um, but I certainly don't believe this is only a myth. Uh, but I also don't believe that I have to take this as a, as a scientific account that it describes to me exactly everything. Uh, it's not really that risky for me to say this because this is the company of most believers. So I, you know, it's a pretty broad ground I'm going to stake for myself here, uh, but I believe that this creation account tells us about the world and God and how things were created and uses metaphorical language to do so, tells us big truths, uh, but it is not necessarily going to give me or others the certainty that they want and seem to desire in understanding all the black and white how things came to be. In other words, this creation account isn't necessarily going to create a bunch of opponents for me who, if they don't believe it just like I do, they're all of a sudden the enemy. The big truths of this story are what matter to me. Now, by the way, I'm not asking you to fit just where, where I believe. In fact, I think it's good practice in a church to have people who are kind of, you know, <laughs> we trust in Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, but I can guarantee you, because I know you, there are people who are, you know, on this continuum in this very room. Thanks be to God. So what are the big truths, though, that we're getting at in this story? First of all, this story is going to outline for us God's relationship with the world. That's going to be a non-negotiable. God created the earth, and this creation is by God's word. So I outlined to you that first, it was formless and void, and God's spirit hovered over the deep. And then the very next part, you remember, as it goes from verse 1 to verse 2, and God said. Creation in this account is by God's word, and by God's word alone. Another note to pick up on this that many of you might not hold in your thinking is that creation is ongoing. When God speaks, God is creative. God is creative in his nature. So creation is not simply something that happened, right? It happens. God's creation is ongoing. God has this relationship with the world and even with you in your life. And secondly, God blesses creation. That is something that as you heard me read the scripture, it comes up over and over again that God blesses creation. Sometimes the language is explicit and he blessed it or he blessed them. At other times the language is in the words and God saw that it was good, which is a blessing. And these big truths will direct, I hope, how we think and how we live. But you can see that they give you a fair bit of room. So if you get to it, to the creation account, we could ask ourselves, what is the most contentious aspect of this story? And depending on you know, where you come from in terms of whether your mind's a real scientific mind or uh, poetic or some combination thereof, you might identify different contentious aspects of this story. But I'll say to you that one of the most, or the most, depending on who you are, one of the most contentious aspects of this story is the word day. The days. 
I have an understanding of a day. Right now it's what time? Okay, that's how much time I have left. Okay. It's this time on this day, and when the rest of this day rolls out, and then this day will end, and then tomorrow there will be another day. Now, we've changed the understanding of light and dark and because of our, uh, the lights that we have, and some people don't, don't seem to have a lot of uh, night or rest in their lives. But we have pretty much a basic understanding of what a day is, day one, day two, day three, and so on. This pattern to the story, and that's a pattern there. So I accept that pattern. I, could you say I believe that pattern? Well, the story is told within a structure. And that structure, as we mentioned, is typical to the Near Eastern descriptions even of other faiths for how they account for creation at that time. In other words, there are other writings that use the structure of days. It just makes sense, too. Now, you could respond in various ways to this. Other cultures also have flood stories. Remember Noah's Ark? And so some people could take, well, there's other, other flood, great flood stories at the time, and they could use that if you're a person who doesn't believe and doesn't really have interest in believing. You could say, well, everybody had those stories, so we know one thing. We don't have to believe them. Or they had it and they had it, so you've got to take your pick or whatever. But other, peop- other people would say, particularly people of faith, well, the fact that, that other cultures had those stories is part of the marker that that thing is true. So again, it depends on you, your perspective, and your faith. What is happening is that the narrator of this creation account is using a formula and putting the story into a structure. And the structure is similar, and careful with this language here. A lot of people don't like either one of these words. The structure is a structure that is similar to pagan mythologies of the day. What we will see, though, and this is just good good writing, good account, um, helpful for us to remember, is that the story is put into the structure of this pagan mythology, but it's written as a counter to all of the pagan mythologies. That's good writing. I'm going to use the structure that you use to make the point opposite to what you're saying. It's a counter, it's a polemic, it's against pagan understanding, Because the primary interest of this story in Jewish and Christian thinking is that this story has first and foremost a theological agenda. In other words, what's the point of this story? It sounds cliched for me to say it. The point of this story is God. God is present. God is in relationship with the world. And the language, and here I'm going to steal a quote from Bruce Waltke who certainly isn't uh, way off on uh, kind of the left somewhere in terms of how he reads these stories and, and where he comes down in Christian faith and belief. But Waltke is going to emphasize there is language, no matter what you believe about this story, you must admit that there is language in this story that is metaphorical and anthropomorphic. Now you can go home going, great, I listened to something of substance today. Metaphorical and anthropomorphic. What it means is, metaphorical means this, I was walking up here this morning, I only live five blocks away, and I was walking up here this morning and it was raining cats and dogs. Now nobody freaked out and ran out of the room just now. You didn't go, Todd is absolutely insane, it's time to leave the room because I can't trust anything else he said because I really don't think it was raining cats and dogs. And I'll tell you, it really was. And what do I mean? It was raining really, really hard. 
And we use a, a, an image and a, and a literary device and even actually um, that identified one itself, raining like cats and dogs or raining cats and dogs, simply to say it was raining really hard. Anytime, now that's just me trying to tell you that it was raining hard. What do you think possibly the extent of that metaphorical and anthropomorphic, and I'll tell you what anthropomorphic language means, it just means we put it in human terms, right? So in this story itself, we're told that God called, God commanded, God spoke, and God saw. Therefore, we can assume that God has lips and vocal cords and eyes. Why then would it tell us that God commanded and called and spoke and saw? Because it has to be anthropomorphic language that I can understand. Now, if I need to use metaphor to tell you how hard it was raining, how much more does God need to use metaphor and anthropomorphic language to bring some kind of understanding to me of the creation of the world? Then, and again, I don't want to upset or offend anybody's sensibilities with this, uh, but I can just speak from my understanding, my prayer, my faith. The question then comes up, how are we to understand the word day? I'll just leave the question with you. Is that okay? Bruce Waltke, the creation in in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is presented as an artistic literary representation. It represents the world as coming into being through God's proclamation so that the world depends on his purpose and on his presence. But Waltke is going to say that this is, on some level at least, and this is where a lot of the argument will come up, is on some level artistic and literary. So we very quickly go through the days. You ready for this? I mean, this is the, the quickest creation account ever, and you could come and correct me and say, well, there's, and, and that's okay, I'm just going through it quickly. Day one, capital letters, light. Now, I know you know what this feels like on a very, very small level because some of you shared with me uh, an experience that we had a few weeks ago where you were without power for 36 hours and the world came to an end. And then there was light. From darkness to light, night and day. Day two, separating water from water, and there's much described here, but getting to the place where you have land and sea and the waters are gathered. It's from disorder to order. It's not explaining the science of this to me, though it's interesting if I did understand more of the science, I could read some of it here. You know, those uh, we have scriptural images that say that God you know, spoke and, and the water to the water and said, you can go this far and no further. That kind of separation. What would it be like if there was no boundaries for the waters? You have some of it described here, but you can conceive of some of it when you have some of the storms that we have, when water shows up where only land is supposed to be. Separating water from water. Day three, God begins to fill up the land. You see the artistic representation here. Fills up the land, vegetation and plants and trees. And you're going to get a phrase in here that we'll pick up next week when we look at God and humanity because you realized I stopped before that day, before day six. Vegetation and plants and trees, there's talk of seeds and growth. And then this, these words, according to their kind. Hold that in mind for next week because it's going to be different when God creates humanity. 
you have something different than according to their kind. And then you have this repeated refrain, and God saw that it was good. And here you have the concept of blessing. And note the language. God saw that it was good. It wasn't that God created it and then made some of it good and some of it remained not good, if that was possible. It's that it was created, breathed from God, creation from God's speech and, and, uh, and work, and it is inherently good. This is of utmost importance in your faith. And I don't think we've got it yet in, mu- in many parts of the Christian church. God spoke the creation and it was good. Here's what this means. This is right from the beginning a positive faith. Thanks be to God. Your faith, your understanding of your faith, your understanding of how you relate to the world and to others should not be primarily negative. This is why there is such a battle for people who come into faith communities and they pick up negative rather than positive. Here's why. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is a positive faith. And God saw that it was good. You can't start Christian faith from a negative. If you try, you will wind up in something less than gospel. We're going from Genesis to Nazareth. If you start simply with, you're a sinner. Now that's true. You are a terrible sinner. I don't even know some of you, but I know you're terrible sinners. As am I. But if you start with that, without this, then the problem, the negative, becomes the biggest reality. And Jesus becomes a means to an end rather than end in himself. Blessing in this understanding is not properly conceived as conferred. We've talked about this before. But in other words, I'm going to see... Jim was, was, did a fantastic job leading us in worship. And I'm going to kind of observe that and see, you know, okay, I like that song, I don't really like that song, whatever. Uh, and in the end, okay, I give that my blessing. Right? I'm going to decide whether I confer that blessing or not. Now, that's just thinking of worship. Imagine treating a child that way. Somebody in your own life making a decision. I have to decide whether I'm going to give you my blessing or not. That's how we often understand the term blessing. And in some ways, that is one way of understanding it. But if I properly understand what's happening, and thankfully this is the truth of the way that I experienced it, and I recognize the good in how Jim led us in worship, where there's times when just in how Jim plays the piano, I am caught up and I think, he's so good at that. That is slightly bothersome to me how good he is, how talented. But I also love it. And I saw that it was good. Now I'm in company. See how one is positive and one is primarily negative? And God saw that it was Good. It's key. If you find yourself in your Christian life mostly shaking your head at the world, man, oh man, things are bad. I understand that this is before the fall. You wanted to say that to me? I understand that. But I'm telling you, you have to start with the positive. If you find yourself shaking your head at the world all the time, please understand from Genesis to Nazareth, And beyond, the Christian faith is a positive faith. We are called to joy. We are called to fullness of life. 
this should matter to you, and it's right here in the creation account. Now, if you want to argue with me about the nature of a day, I can talk about that, but I don't really care as much about that as I care about this. See where I'm coming from. Day four. Do I have the note there? Yeah, what was first now? Day four, we get a little bit of a hiccup. As um, Who was I reading on this? Oh, Robert Farrar Capon. says there's a little bit of a hiccup on day four. Can you see why it is, those of you who have the word in front of you? It's a bit troubling because if we're going to take this creation as as a succession of physical events with scientific description and certainty, what do you do with the fact that in the narrative itself, the sun comes along after the vegetation. Uh-oh. Now, in some form there before, but this is, this is a Christian scholar who understands the Hebrew. And day four, the question is at least there. Now, there's, one, there's a couple potential answers to that, but one of them is, well, God can do what he wants to do, which is true. He can make plants without sun. The trouble is, and this is just where I'm I'm not trying to force you into one understanding. And I want, for those who want to force me into one understanding, I ask the same grace. Can I ask that? Todd, you have to get it this way. You have to. The trouble is, if if you say, well, God can do whatever he wants, so you can get plants before this. The trouble is that you're going to accept certain limitations and not others. God can do whatever he wants so you can get plants before sun, but, uh, no, it's dead said it's 24-hour days. So this, this account of creation is something that we have to understand with some uh, grace and maturity. We do at least know this, that God's concept of time, we could, we could describe in this way, as God's eternal now. In other words... You can't get past A, B, C, D. Right now, it's this time. Sermon's getting closer to an end now. And soon it will be lunchtime. And at lunchtime, you will think of this moment as a moment that is past. God is not bound by those same limits. We've talked about this before. So that my memory of me being a child and praying to God, is it possible that God holds in the eternal now that moment and this one now, when I'm of all things a pastor standing in front of a church speaking? That God could know me as a child and as this person at the same time? God is above time, which will help you change and give some scope to this story. Well, day four. Day five is our last for this morning. And on day five, God fills up the seas as with the land, now the seas, teeming or swarming, depending upon the translation that you read. And the seas, if you've ever seen any of those nature films, um, there's times when you get the sense of the seas just teeming with creatures. Or we used to go to the Vancouver Aquarium when our two kids were little and stand them in front of those uh, big uh, uh, fish tanks. And some of them you would, and just the color and the life and the light. And you can't watch one thing. And then you see the weirdest fish swimming by. And you think, that's ridiculous that that even exists. And then you remember or you read something that reminds you of this. We don't even know all the creatures that are in the sea. I had a little clip. Uh, There's a video clip here, Amanda, but I don't think we need um, audio. Amanda? Amanda? 
So hopefully this works. You ready? Okay. Did you, did you, that's all I got. If you didn't see it, unless Amanda can rewind it. I don't think we really can. Uh, did you see that this week? That whale breaching over, the, I happen to hear the audio of some of it. And there are people in kayaks and this whale goes over and everything out, like just comes out of that water. The guy videoing it, instead of saying, this was curious to me, instead of saying, are they okay about the people in the kayak said, honestly, the first thing. I got it on video. (laughs) And then you hear his wife or someone say, are they okay? (laughs) The sea teeming with life. Fruitful, abundant, not scarce. This is a religious and cultural commentary here because religious people of all swaths can act as if there is not fruitfulness There is not abundance. We need to be fearful. We need to protect everything. Be fruitful. The earth and the seas and the skies teeming with life. There is, before we create human economies, before we start to grant some people much and other people little, and by the way, everyone in this room is part of the much, Before we create our human economies, there is in God's creation this beautiful word, enough and more than enough. And Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And there's been a wasp nest in our backyard I won't tell you how long it's been there because it would have been easy to get rid of, but I'm just lazy, plus I think it's kind of cool. Because it's in between two bricks towards the back part of our backyard. You have to walk along this path to get to where our cars park, and you literally have to walk under the wasp highway because they fly like this. It's like they come from that top corner and the nest is over there. And occasionally they'll hit the side of your head if you... And they go in between these two bricks and they are so busy you wouldn't believe it. They're probably, well, in the rain they don't do so. You know, they take a rest. I think somewhere in that, what strikes me is is that they are working so hard and I feel so lazy sometimes when I walk by them. And I tell myself, maybe somewhere in those bricks there's like a TV room. And some of them are just kind of watching. (laughs) But even something like a wasp nest, I'm reminded it's abundant. Look at the life just flying by you all the time. And that's the tiniest corner of the backyard. I understand and appreciate, I do understand both, and I do appreciate that it would be possible to look at all of this, this created order, or people might use a different word than creation, to look at this natural world and say that there is a way to explain this without God. I understand and appreciate that people may think that's possible and may think that what I believe is crazy. I've read Richard Dawkins' book, The Greatest Show on Earth, where he, an avowed atheist, says, look at this wasp or look at this creature or look at this thing. And he's describing something, and there's a religious word that he, that actually what he's employed in is is wonder. But what he ends with is, look at how incredible this thing is. Look at how incredible this thing is. Therefore, there's no God. And I 
I, I even want to kind of respect where he's coming from. I, I don't want to force him to think what I think, but at least I say, oh, I'm with you on the wonder, but where I go is to the God of this whole earth is a God of abundant life and blessing, and that's why we can't get to the bottom of how incredible this creation is. For me, the wonder leads to the transcendent, to God, that creation is by his word. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, God spoke and breathed. Colossians 1, Jesus is pre-existent. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this is true in my life and in your life, ongoing creation. The relationship is one of blessing. God saw that it was good, this recognized blessing. Not simply conferred blessing, but recognized. And I get to the place where I say, I believe this narrative and the whole earth is full of his glory. From Genesis to Nazareth, but it starts here in the beginning. From Genesis to Nazareth, God is with us. And you will see it here. There are ways in which in my faith, I things I don't believe about this story. I don't mean that I don't believe it as it's written, but there are ways that I would differ from how I hold this story compared to some others. But I do believe it. God is with us before all things. Amen. I'm going to call, um, we wanted to give you a sense of how this might play in our actual lives. And so I'm going to call um, forward a member of our congregation. Grace Deeming is Donna Hogg's mom. And some of you would know that Grace has been uh, through a difficult experience recently, and she's going to come and share some words with us now. Can you all hear me? Okay, good. First of all, I'd just like to share today what Jesus Christ means to me. On January 2nd this year, I was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer. And the emergency doctor giving us this news told us nothing could be done, not even chemotherapy. Then said that quality of life was the way to go. When hearing this news, I said, okay then. I felt completely at peace and had no anxiety at hearing this news. I just knew that the Lord was with me and that nothing comes to me that isn't first filtered through his precious fingers. The following week, we saw an oncologist who thought I should have chemotherapy, so we started with therapy, then surgery to remove the cancer. My chemo started in January, my surgery in April, and chemo till June. Then I was told I was in remission. All through this six months treatment, I got to share with so many people what an awesome God I have. And I could trust him to be with me always. Even the nurses and doctor could see peace and joy I had. Some said, It's your great attitude, and you're a good person. But I had to say, oh no, it's my awesome God. I never felt sick during my treatments and had to remind myself I was sick. 
Praise God I'm in remission and will continue with checkup. Praying at night, I would tell the Lord, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for you, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Through all of this, I've never felt closer to my precious Lord and what a prayer team I had all through, and, it, and I could feel it. And thank you for all the prayers, and that's it. Thank God.